I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Barbican Screen Talks Archive podcast. This episode, we're offering a glimpse inside the mind of esteemed documentarian and feminist force for cinema, Kim Longinotto. She's in conversation with Lawrence Topham, discussing her 2019 film, Shooting the Mafia, which has another impressive woman with a camera as its subject, Letizia Battaglia. Longinotto began filmmaking in the late 1970s after following her friend and fellow documentary maker, Nick Broomfield, to the National Film and Television School. Shooting the Mafia was her 22nd film, and it continues her career-long interest in a theme she describes here as a woman standing up to her culture. Longinotto's previous work had found such women all over the world. In 1998, she made Divorce Iranian Style, following the legal wrangling of three unhappy couples. And in 2005, she revisited the courtroom, but this time in Cameroon, West Africa, with her film Sisters-in-Law. She went on to win a Sundance Grand Jury Prize in 2009 with Rough Aunties about the brave women who care for abused and neglected children in South Africa. 2010's Pink Saris followed a controversial vigilante for women's rights in North India and five years later Dreamcatcher was all about another charismatic leader, a Chicago street prostitute turned anti-human trafficking activist, Brenda Myers-Powell. Shooting the Mafia, though, took Kim Longinotto to Sicily, where for 50 years, photographer Letizia Battaglia, now 86, has been documenting the ravages of organised crime. You'll hear some key Mafia figures referenced here, including boss of the Corleonese faction, Luciano Leggio, his ruthless successors, Salvatore Rina and Bernardo Provenzano, and the famous mafioso-turned-informant, Tommaso Buscetta. Yet Longinotto was determined that her documentary, like Letizia's photographs, provided a corrective to Hollywood's glamorised gangster, epitomised in the movies of Coppola and Scorsese. She's careful to reserve her admiration for Sicilian anti-mafia campaigners, such as Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino, who were both assassinated within a few months of each other in 1992. This clear moral stance is just one of the parallels that emerge here between filmmaker and subject. In discussing Letizia's ambivalent feelings towards her mafia photographs, the guilt that comes with bearing witness to other people's trauma and the emotional costs for a woman who stands up to her culture, Kim Longinotto is also reflecting on her own career. With characteristic compassion, she even spares a thought for members of the Q&A audience too. 
It is hard to come up with good questions, isn't it? I'm Eleni Jones, and this is Barbican Screen Talks with Kim Longinotto, director of Shooting the Mafia. Welcome to tonight's screening. I'm very excited to introduce to you the film's director, Kim Longinotto, to talk about the film and to hopefully answer some of your questions. I just thought I'd start off by congratulating you on the film. I mean, it's an extraordinary piece of work. How much mafia history did you know before you started this project? Was this a voyage of discovery, of learning about how this all played out? Exactly, it was. I mean, I knew I'd seen all the Godfather films and lots of Scorsese and Coppola and things. And I think that was the big surprise, really, was that the more I started finding out about the mafia and also particularly the people that had stood up against the mafia, like Falcone and Borsellino, you get a completely different sense of it's not men in smart suits going out with guns and shooting other mafia. It's really, I love it when she calls um, Rina that scruffy moron, you know. It's, it's actually really cowardly people. It's criminals who go and shoot little kids in the back of the head because they've witnessed a crime. And I think that was the shock. Because I've enjoyed those films, those mafia films. I've watched them and enjoyed them and thought how well made they were. But you sort of think those films are all about the people that do the violent acts, the people that go and shoot people. It's never about the people that stand up against them. It's never about the people that get caught up in it. And you never see the corpses being put in the coffins or you see children going to school and having to walk past a body and how it kind of brutalises the whole community, what it's like to live under the mafia. So that was a really big... I mean, I suppose that's what it was. And it was like learning and sort of seeing those films again and thinking that actually it's not a coincidence that the way that, that Hollywood shows the films, what they choose to show is also a big decision. And there's an article that I read the day before yesterday where somebody's interviewing Scorsese and they say, oh, have you watched, did you watch The Sopranos? And he said, uh, oh, well, I watched the first episode and then I couldn't watch anymore. I was too upset. I was too shocked. And they say, why? And he said, because you had men, mafia men, swearing in front of women and children at the dinner table. And I, I just couldn't relate to that. And I think, well, that's so interesting, this whole idea of the morality that you, you're you upset by women being sworn in front of, but you're not upset by these gruesome, horrible murders. And I thought that whole morality thing is so interesting. You know, this morality that they're men of honour and they're moral, they're family men, they're Catholics, they go to church and they're moral men. And then they have this license to do these terrible murders. It's it's very interesting, that whole world view, and that Scorsese still has it. He's still actually got that mafia mentality, which I think is fascinating. You can Google that, Scorsese dinner table swearing, and it'll come up. <laughs> I'm not making it up, I promise. A lot of your films in the past, Sisters-in-Law, Rough Aunties, Pink Saris, they've all focused on women contributors. And I wondered, is, was that part of the appeal of this story, that it was looking at the, the mafia history, but from a very distinctly female perspective? I think, I mean, they have, the films have been about women, but they've, I think it's because the women in the films are rebels, and I think I've always been interested in rebels, people that stand up to culture, tradition. And what I loved immediately about Leticia, she was born into a very, very traditional culture, I mean, extreme, that she went to the convent, when she saw the man masturbating, she was sent to convent. And then she was married she, at 16 to get away from her father. So she was 
constantly dominated in these very dominating situations. And then at sort of 40, just sort of thought, I'm going to leave, and left her husband, left her children, left her village, and went to become a photographer. And I thought that was amazing because it is hard even now. You know, when she says, um, I'm sure my, my daughters aren't happy with me, my family isn't happy with me, my friends aren't happy with me, I see it in their eyes, you know. And uh, she's now with a man 38 years younger than her, and she says, but I don't care. Well, of course she does care, but she's telling herself she doesn't care. And I put my work first. And I think that's really still quite a hard thing for a woman to say, I'm putting my work first. And I think I love that in her, that she became completely dedicated, like Falcone was, like Borsellino was. She became a dedicated anti-mafia person. And she got into it by chance. I like that as well. Because I think with all of us here, most of us, the lives that we have at the moment, we will have come to from a series of chances, I think, most of us. I mean, you sometimes meet people and they say, I always wanted to be a Guardian journalist. And, you know, when I was six, I was planning. But, you know, those people are very rare. And the fact she went and it was August and there was nobody there and she said she'd make tea and then she started taking photos and she fell in love with it. I love the sort of randomness of it, you know. Did she take a lot of convincing to participate in the film, to have a film made about her? She's formidable. She's quite, she's quite... I think she was used to talking about the mafia a little bit, but she wasn't... She'd never really opened up that much about her personal life. I've just been um, at a, a screening in Gorizia, which is northern Italy on the Slovenian border, and somebody in the audience said to Leticia, have you seen the film? And she sort of looked at me and she said, I'm so embarrassed by this film. I, You know, you, what you've done to me, Kim, I'm so embarrassed. And then she laughed and she said, but it's good, you know. So I think she has these two emotions through all of it. I mean, when you think she's lying back in a, in a field saying I had 5, 10, 20, 50 men, you know, it's like not really what an 85-year-old woman usually says, you know. <laughs> and then her love for uh, Roberto and... When we first met Roberto, because actually Topham was asking me that, I call you Topham now because he introduced himself as Topham, so he's always Topham now. It sounds like a sort of cad at Eton, it's that sort of name, isn't it? <laughs> Topham's coming. Anyway, so um, <laughs> so we just we went to this opening of her photography gallery and then we came out and her daughter Marta was there. Marta's probably one of the few people in her family that sort of really approves of... Because people haven't approved of Leticia. It's really interesting when she says, nobody loved me for the last 20 years. People really disapprove of her. It's quite... Because of this morality thing, you know, even though she's done this brilliant work. And I remember saying to uh, Marta, i just met Roberto. Oh, what do you think of Roberto, Marta? And she went, what about him? And I thought, oh, no, Leticia hasn't even told her granddaughter. Because I think it's quite hard. And in a way, she was outing herself through being filmed and the film was in a way saying look this is my partner and you can take it or leave it I'm revealing my partner and you know journalists have rung me and said what do you think of Roberto do you think you know they think you can tell there's a sort of edge to it but they really do love each other I mean I've spent a lot of time with them together when we went to festivals and they do love each other they argue a lot and it's very sort of stormy but they love each other and it's really nice he looks after her and she's sort of, you know, she's championing his photographs, so she's proud of him. 
and he's proud of her and it's a really nice thing to be with the two of them. A lot of your films over your career have been observational in their style. You've had a very strict ethos of pairing back the technique so it's about the characters being within scenes without narration, without construction. This and, and Love is All that you made a few years ago is obviously a shift in using archive. Yeah. And, and I just wonder, was that a very <laughs> conscious decision or was um, it just something that happened by a happy accident? It ha we, Ollie and I were really, after doing Love is All, we really loved doing your, that uh, film. Your editor. O Ollie Huddleston, the editor, and he's so lovely. He was great to work with. After we'd done Love is All, we thought it'd be really good to do another one, another archive film. And I don't know, you read about archive films or you hear about them and, and people say, I made this archive film and you imagine that the director has just gone and made an archive film. But actually it's really a team thing because we were doing it in Ireland, editing in Ireland. We'd have to go home for a few months while the archivist found the footage. You can only make the film that the archivist find the footage for. So we had these two archivists and then Ollie, the editor. It's a real teamwork. And we had this um, translator, Paula, who went through hours and hours and hours of the maxi trials. There's scenes in the film that I so wish were here, you know, where the mafia are behind those bars and they're going, oh, we want to complain about the sandwiches, the mozzarella is making them damp, you know, this sort of thing. And you see what kind of, what entitled people they are, how arrogant they are. So we were constantly being pulled into, wanting to put more mafia in, wanting to put more Leticia in. And I know there's a, a Times article where, I haven't read it yet, but he says he wants more mafia. and So you go, oh, yeah, I wish there was more mafia. You know, it's like, but the balance is what was so hard to make the best balance we thought we could. And in the end, we had to say, we've done the best we can. And, you know, hopefully people will keep learning about the mafia. In fact, the scene I'm, I miss most is Rena meeting Buschetta in the maxi trial for the first time. And, you know, Rena's the guy, the scruffy moron, and Buschetta's the informer that breaks the story of the Mafia for the first time, that really tells us about how they worked. And Rena had ordered the murders of most of Buschetta's family, so his nephews were murdered, his sons were murdered, loads of his family. And Rena says to the judge, I'm not talking to Buschetta because he's immoral and because he, he was an informer. And Buschetta says to Rena, you're calling me immoral, Rena, and you've killed 17 members of my family and you're calling me immoral. And that's what I saw in the Scorsese thing. You know, this idea that somehow they're men of honour and they do these rather glamorous murders and that they have power and that power in itself. You know, I've thought a lot about in this country, you know, where we have people that traffic women, they bring them over from Poland, they trick them and then they keep them in these flats and rent them out to men and things. And I think... How can they live with themselves? They must have daughters or sisters or wives or how can they live with it? And that's what it is. It's that mentality that you're better than other people so you can do anything. It's it's what I grew up with with my dad, that mentality that there's all these people, Jewish people, black people, gay people, and they're not really people. You're a person, you know. It's a really interesting thing. And once you strip that away, you realise that these are just miserable little criminals that just want power and money and and Provenzano you saw at the end he lived in a complete shithole didn't he I mean it was this horrible way you know he didn't enjoy his money but he knew he had it and actually incidentally he had copies of the godfather he had all the dvds in that place so he's obviously really liked those films when you started editing did you have a very clear 
sense in your head of where you were going or was it very much a sort of evolving direction that you just you know as you worked your way through the combination of interviews and and archive was that second it was actually a bit like a quagmire because we would discover stuff about the mafia for example Ligio, the one in prison and you wouldn't imagine he was in prison with his cigar and his suit would you but his first murder was of a trade unionist and the whole thing about trade unionism and working people challenging you know the landlords and their factories and the governments to try and get better money and then the mafia being hired to kill them i didn't know about that well there's this young trade unionist in a village and Ligio was hired to to and they took him out in daylight they walked him out onto this mountain and they hanged him and they dropped him into a pit where all the sheep carcasses went and a shepherd boy saw them and he was 11 years old and they took him down and they murdered him and that was like a real shock. And I thought, wow, this isn't the mafia I've been watching films about all my life. You know, this is something else. And we got very involved in mafia and we ended up making a sort of four-hour film about how the mafia were reinstated by the British and the Americans when they liberated Sicily. And the more you go into it, and, the, and Ollie and I were going, we're thinking, no, where's Leticia? We had to sort of keep her in the film. Do you know what I mean? So... And also there was very, very little footage of Leticia. So we wanted to give an atmosphere of her girlhood. of what And that film, Anna, that you see in the film, when she's dancing, in the, in, Anna is dancing, not Leticia, is a film that she grew up watching and loved. And it's a film where a woman becomes sort of is out and about and then she ends up as a nun <laughs> in the film because she feels so guilty and her lover ends up in hospital so and she's a nun nurse so it's kind of one of those things but we just showed the bit when she was having a good time and attracting men like flypaper <laughs> but you know so we we try to think of imaginative ways or ways that we could to sort of bring her her life to life you know and i remember the very first screening i was really upset because we had a screening at sundance and this american woman came up and said oh, I didn't know Leticia was dancing in a nightclub. And I thought, oh, no, you think it, the fiction is her, you know. So we tried to make it clear that by putting her home movie at the front and then showing it again, now I'm thinking maybe we should have put a little title. I mean, I, don't, I hope none of you thought that was Leticia. No? Oh, good. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't know how much information, you know. And the same with the tuna fish, the slaughter of the tuna fish. That's meant to be a sort of visual thing for what Rena was doing the slaughter you know all the people being killed and that same woman said why are they killing the dolphins and I thought oh no you know so I suppose you have to trust your and hope that they get it and if they don't you have to not let it but I always remember every word of the bad reviews and I don't remember the good ones do you re-watch a lot of your films do you go ever no go back? no 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 I never re-watch them no because I know them so well, I'm thinking, come on, this bit's long. You know, I can't. I... Have you taken, is this film going to play in Sicily? Do you think there's a... Well, that's the only place that Leticia doesn't want it shown because that's where her daughters live. And I don't know what you guys think about the daughters bit. But, you know, she says, I don't want to talk about my daughters. And I thought that was really good that she said that because often it doesn't happen so much with men. I mean, I don't want to make it because we live now in 2019. It's all... You know, we're all coming together. So, you know, it's not men, women so much. But in Sicily it is. And I think it was really good. She said, I don't want to talk about my daughters because 
she's sort of saying, I mean, we, we get the sense very strongly by the end, I hope, that they disapprove of her and that it's not particularly good between Letizia and her daughters. Well, anyway, you know, if you've left home and gone and become a journalist, there's a sense that somehow you haven't really been a perfect mother. And I think a lot of daughters wouldn't want a mother with a man that's probably younger than them, if you see what I mean. But I liked her saying, I don't want to talk about my daughters because, in a way, they've got their lives, they're separate people, they're different, they're not her, and they didn't want to be in the film, so that's fine. I don't want to talk about my daughters. You know, it's a bit like if you think of somebody, a man that would make a film and having his daughters in it. It was just good. Oh, well, we're not going to do the daughters. But you do learn in it that one of the daughters became a drug addict and became clean. So you know there's a lot of damage there and a, a lot of problems. But anyway, she doesn't want it shown in um, Sicily. And we said, fine. And I think she'll show it eventually. I think she just needs to get her courage up. And, and It's a very brave thing to, to be the centre of, of a whole film. And I guess, of course, there's a must be a lot of, on your part, a lot of trust building, you know, in the, in that relationship and getting her to a place where she feels that she can impart all this personal information in a way that she knows... She sort that of loved it. <laughs> you know, she sort of loved it because I think she sort of then really realised how amazing she... I think she's usually just interviewed briefly about the mafia stuff and she doesn't really like... I mean, you can see that in talking about those photographs... She hates those photographs. She loves them and she hates them. It's a really ambivalent thing. Because if you think about those photos, for example, if you think about the photo, it's a man with a tattoo on his back and his T-shirt's pulled out. The one on the wall. Yes. Yeah. And you can see that to take that photo, you'll have had to have gone like that and pointed the camera down. It's the only way you can take that photo. So in a way, to take a lot of those photos, you have to be incredibly... You have to not have this idea of somehow being squeamish about the dead or respecting the dead. You have to put yourself forward. And she says herself that in crime scenes, because of this morality thing again, oh, you're a woman, you shouldn't see a dead body. They're trying to keep her back. And I think for most of us here, I think I would find it really hard to make a huge scene to be allowed to go into the crime scene. But she, at the, the first sort of five, ten years, every time would have to scream and shout and make a huge fuss to be allowed in to do the photos. And you know the one of the there's one of a judge who's being killed through the window of a car and you can see all the people round. It's all men. There's not one woman there. It's all a huge group of men. And she's had to push her way through and shout. And what I love about the archivist, Claire, she found the actual film of it, of the actual time. So it's almost like your Leticia and you're seeing the men watching, and then you're seeing that. But then you can see the difference between a piece of live film and the photo. The same with the prostitute at the beginning that's killed. You see the camera people going up the stairs, and then you see them filming the crime scene. But somehow her one photo, and she's got one photo at the top of the men at the top of the stairs and one of the woman, it's so much more powerful because she's framed it perfectly. It's just the most perfect considered shot and it's held and it's a completely different thing i learned an awful lot about the sort of beauty of photography as opposed to filming something that it allows you time to think about it in the way that film doesn't but i love the, that bit of film of them very lovingly putting the man in the coffin and then you see his feet with the socks on and then putting his feet in and 
that's what you don't get in the mafia films. You don't get that people have to come and clear it up and, and put them in coffins and the trauma that the paramedics and the police and everybody had to go through again and again and again. The ripple effects. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, uh, I'd like to open this up to the audience so you guys get a chance to uh, ask him some questions. So put your hands up and I'll try and get through as many of you as I can. So there might not be anyone. It's no. very hard. It's much easier to answer questions than to ask them because, you know, I've asked a question once and he said it was a stupid question. So <laughs> I haven't dared to it since. But it is hard. You don't have to There's ask a question. You can just make a comment. In, uh, on the front row. Good. It's a very simple question, really. It's how did you first discover Letitia's work? How did you first come across her as a subject? Well, I'd never heard of her at all, but Neve Fagan, who's the producer, went to Sicily on holiday with her family and uh, went to... There's an anti-mafia museum in Corleone and went to the museum and it's all Letitia's photos and then was pretty amazed by the pictures and then went and found out about Letitia and then she got in touch with me. The more I learnt about Letitia and the more I learnt about the mafia... I thought how lucky I was that somebody had asked me to do the film, really. You know, it was everything that I was interested in. You know, a woman standing up to to her culture and these kind of weird families, these mafia families, where you were brought up in hate. And to me, Leticia's about love in all sorts of ways, friendship, love, you know, love in sexual relationships and the love of the people around her and the love of taking photographs. It's all about love and... And the love for Falcone and Borsellino, who had this courage to say, I'm probably going to die, but somebody will replace me. That selflessness is, to me, the strongest thing against the mafia, which represents power and money and hate. You know, that, that that's what we can put against them and gives us back the feeling of joy, you know. What was your first step in your process? And once you discovered her... Do you go away and, and spend weeks and weeks reading about her? Or, uh, what, what do you first do? I think we had some books of her photographs. We looked at her photographs and then Ollie and I started looking at archive and then we went to film Leticia. She's amazing, actually. She's got a very strong presence to her and I immediately sort of really liked her. Yeah, I just that she's there's something... She's a free spirit, you know. She really doesn't care about what you think of her but yet then she does it's I mean I think we're all a bit like this you can say I don't care what people think and then of course you do you know I'm always trying to pretend I don't care what people think and I desperately care you know <laughs> so she says some of the things she says in the film I, it's so encouraging because you think well you can walk away from your family your children your husband your culture and not care but of course she does care you know but you can tell yourself you don't and you've put your work first we're all contradictions, aren't we, all of us? We, know, we tell ourselves what we feel and it's not always true, is it? Uh, Someone else, please. Uh, there's somebody at the back there. Hi. When she says to you, oh, you're, you're really upsetting me with, you're making me think about all this, you know, the past and the mafia, I mean, she kind of smiles after that, so I wasn't really sure. Oh, she meant it. She did I think mean she it, meant yeah. She totally yeah. meant it. I think, you know, when she says at the beginning of the film, I want to burn my negatives, you know, I think that's a very powerful feeling. I think it's very interesting with photographers. War photographers write about this or talk about this a lot. Don McCullen talked about this, where you feel somehow 
you lose a little bit of your humanity when you film something, take a photograph of something. So if you can imagine, if you can imagine if somebody in this cinema falls down dead or is shot, and your first instinct would probably be to cover them, their body with your jacket or, you know, stand back. But whereas what Leticia's doing every time is she's going as close as she can and she's framing it and she's she's bearing witness. She knows why she's doing it in her mind. She's bearing witness. She's holding the mafia to account. But she's she says she felt embarrassed by taking them. And when you take photos of a grieving mother when her son's just been shot and she's completely, she's being held because she's almost fainting with the pain of it and you go up and you stand right above her and you frame it and you plan your shot that's a really hard thing to do so you have these two emotions one part of you thinks I'm a monster I'm I don't have normal human feelings the other part is I'm a good photographer I'm taking the best photo I can you know do, do you and, grapple with that yourself I mean you've you're, you know some of your most famous films have been have witnessed very intimate moments in people's lives where sort of bad things are happening or yeah, have happened I and, do, and yeah. you're they're bearing witness you know you feel guilty because and I think even more in film because you're sort of thinking I'm filming this terrible thing that's happening there and now I'm having to go I'm panning there so we can edit it you have to sort of turn off in a way so I think for Leticia she has very very mixed emotions about her photographs and they remind her of experiences which she's lived through that have been very painful and the thing about not filming Falcone, I think, I mean, that would have been almost superhuman to somebody you really love and they've been blown to bits and their bodies in bits. And how do you take a photograph of that? But she still chastises herself for not taking a photo because somehow she's shown herself unworthy as a photographer for not taking the photo. So it's really mixed and you can't win. She's she feels guilty if she takes the photo and she feels guilty if she doesn't take it. So, and I think it's what I mean about all of us having mixed emotions. It's, it's, you feel two things at once. So in a way, she didn't want to revisit those photos and that time and those feelings. But in another way, it made her feel good to know that people had come from England and were appreciating her work and loving her work and were celebrating her work because at the end of the film, she says, for 20 years, nobody loved me. She doesn't just mean a man hasn't loved her. She means that there's been so much disapproval in Sicily, particularly, and she's in Palermo. People really disapprove of her. And I think that's really hard to live with on a, a day, even though people love her as well. Other people love her. So if you go on a demonstration where there's a lot of communist people or trade unionists, she's loved there because they're all political people and they're against the mafia. But I think families and people that have got the mafia mentality really don't approve of her. So it's it's a difficult... She says at one point, I'm always struggling, I'm always fighting. So I think we're asking her to revisit things that are painful. Uh, yes, the lady at the back there. Hi, I have a question about how much did you involve her permission about which elements you used in the film? Because you exposed very vulnerable moments of her, so I guess... There must have been internal struggle for you as well, which parts to expose, but how much was she actually involved as well? And she, was, she, she wasn't involved at all. No. We, we edited the film, and the first time she saw it was in Sundance when we had the premiere, because I knew, Leticia, I knew she'd be really difficult and she'd want this out and that out, and it would never end, you know. <laughs> so, And also there was things that we really had to 
really, really fight to get her to give us. The thing I really wanted in the film, and I know it's a painful thing to, to look at, but it seems so important to me, particularly that I think once you've seen that the Mafia have killed a child on the forecourt of a petrol station for witnessing his dad's murder, for me, there's no going back to being men of honour. For me, I thought, you know, in the context of Scorsese, Coppola and all of that stuff, of them being glamorous in a way... So we wanted that photograph of that child and she'd never exhibited that photo and she'd never looked at the photo in colour. And so there were things that were really hard to get her to give us. In fact, it was quite hard to get any of the photos out of her because she's very protective of her archive and also she does have this ambivalence about the photos. So I knew that having that having been so hard that to get her to watch the film and not want to edit anything... But we did show her, she said, I want to see the interview with me and Roberto. So we sent her the interview with me and Roberto. And then we got a message back. And in the original one, she said, it's amazing to me that Roberto loves me, but he's a homosexual. And she sent back and said, I want to change that bit. Can you change that bit? And I thought, oh, no, that's really a shame. She's going to change it to something that's more anodyne than that. And actually, all she wanted to do was clarify that he's attracted to transsexual men men that identify as women she wanted to actually clarify it and I thought that was really good because that's she got it absolutely precise of what his sexual proclivity was but he loves her as well and he really does love her and it's a beautiful thing to see and I I I love the fact that she says, I looked at his world and it frightened me. And I thought, you've seen the mafia and you're frightened of a few, you know, a few gay bars and that frightens you. And I thought, that's amazing that that's the next thing that's frightened her. And I, I just think her honesty in that was, was brilliant. I'm afraid we have to end it. Oh, now. sorry. I, oh, no. Sorry. Okay. What were you going to ask? <laughs> I wondered if you knew that there was a Thomas Busquets Oh, he was asking, did I know there was a Thomas Bruchetto? Yes, I watched it. There's a documentary about Thomas Bruchetto, which you can watch. I think it's on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. But actually there again, even though I did enjoy it, it's very much from the point of view of a mafia family. And he was, as mafia go, not as bad as the others, obviously, because he became an informer. But it is so weird that we keep on you know, sort of making films and looking at them, the Mafia. What about the people that, you know, the brave Sicilians that stood up to the Mafia? What about the trade unionists that gave their lives and the magistrates? And things have to start shift. you know, it's the emphasis that they put on things and, um, you know, what they want us to follow and what they don't let us really consider. And that's the thing about the, how the Mafia have been shown. Kim Thank you for listening to this Barbican Screen Talk on Shooting the Mafia with director Kim Longinotto. It's not often that this crime-thriller-obsessed art form digs a little deeper into the morality of glorifying gangsters. The Barbican Screen Talk's archive is full of such thought-provoking gems, waiting to be pulled out and polished up for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to hear more and support Barbican Cinema, please rate and subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting barbican.org.uk. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on Shooting the Mafia or any other film featured in the series. You can find us on social media at Barbican Centre. Barbican Screen Talks Archive is presented by me, Ellen E. Jones, and produced by Jane Long for Loftus Media.
We'll be back next time with a discussion of the 2019 dance documentary Cunningham, which explores the work of legendary American choreographer Merce Cunningham. Until then, be well and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.